We uh, hit part two of our series through the book of Colossians, um, where we are asking the question, is Jesus really enough? Is he really enough for us? We kicked off last week by seeing the author Paul's uh, introduction uh, to the Colossians, uh, saying that Jesus is enough for the church that he is enough for us because of what he's given the church. He's given his word, he's given his unity, he's given his grace and his peace. Now we're tackling the question this morning, is Jesus enough to hope in? Is Jesus really enough to hope in? And, and everyone, whether you're here as a Christian or not, or not a Christian, if you're here and, and you're still kind of checking out this whole faith thing, really, really good to have you, especially uh, for this morning's uh, sermon and topic. Because whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, at some point or at multiple points during your life, you are going to need to hope you're going to need to hope in someone or something. In fact, it's just something intrinsic in us to hope. As soon as the, the equilibrium of our lives, our worlds, our comfort zones are disrupted, we immediately begin to look for something or someone to hope in, to restore that equilibrium. The unfortunate thing is, and I've seen it far too often, seen it in my own life, is that often that, that thing or that person that we begin to hope in causes more damage or more issues uh, to our situation. Sometimes we realize it immediately, sometimes we only realize it a couple of years later down the road. I mean, how often do we hear or have we seen uh, marriages that have fallen apart because the husband who wasn't happy or the wife who wasn't happy began to hope for happiness in someone else, eventually bringing the marriage to a painful end? Or those who are, are, who are single and, and desperately want to be married or just desperately don't want to feel alone anymore, begin to hope in someone, the first person who comes along, and then the next minute they realize that they're compromising on their Christian values or they start somewhere down the road, they realize they've been compromising on their Christian values, their Christian ethics, and they've drifted from the Lord, they've drifted from the church. Or maybe it's in the area of finance, maybe in the area of health. I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier this week of a pastor um, who used to be a professional athlete and uh, got severely injured. And in his hope to get back, to regain full fitness, to get back doing what he loved doing, he became addicted to painkillers. He placed all of his hope in these tablets, in these painkillers to get him to restore his world. And the list can go on, right? Uh, you know, as soon as our walls, as soon as our, our equilibriums are disrupted, we immediately begin to look for something in this world to restore that. And it's the same for our spiritual life too. You might remember from last week, this little church in Colossae, they were being bombarded with all of these false teachings and these false doctrines saying, hey, you want to hope? You want hope in life? You want hope for the next life in particular? then why on earth would you want to limit that just to Jesus? There's so much more to believe in. There's so much more to do. You can't just limit that to Jesus. You need to hope in more. And so the question, like I said, we were asking this morning, is Jesus enough to hope in? The hope that Jesus offers compared to the hope that's in this world or the hope that other religions offer, is it enough? Is it enough to restore our equilibriums? No. No. But hey, at least we get to have coffee now, right? 
The reason why I say no is because Jesus offers a hope that is not of this world. He, his hope gives us a new equilibrium and a new perspective for all the things that we go through in this life. And so as we look at part two of our journey through Colossians, I want us to understand four incredible aspects of this hope that Jesus gives us to show or to prove that it's all we need. So first, won't you read the text with me and grab your Bibles in your, your chair pockets in front of you or somewhere along your row or jump on your, your Bible app and click to Colossians 1. Uh, we're going to be a little bit more adventurous this week. Last week we only looked at two verses. This week we're going from verses 3 to 8. Uh, you're also welcome to follow on the screen with me, but I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see God's words speak to you for itself. Don't just take my word for it. So here we go. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 3. So Paul now begins his prayer for the Colossians. He says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Here we go. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, of this hope, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So four things I want us to understand about this hope that Jesus gives us. You can flip over your bulletin and you'll see them there, kind of track where we're going this morning. I want us to understand, firstly, the type of hope that he gives us. Secondly, the effects of this hope or the fruit of this hope. Then the source of this hope. And then we'll conclude with the means of this hope. So here we go. The first one, this type of hope. Are there really different types of hope in the world? Yes. The type of hope is largely dependent on who or whom you are hoping in. But for the sake of our argument, for the sake of brevity, let's just put them into two main camps. You get worldly hope and you get this biblical hope that Jesus gives us. Worldly hope is more like wishful thinking. It doesn't carry a lot of confidence with it because there are so many factors that are outside of your control. For instance, if you are hoping that your favorite sports team wins tomorrow, for those of you uh, who love rugby, it's the Rugby World Cup on at the moment, and we're all hoping that our particular nation wins. And so we're hoping that the, that the weather conditions favor our team. Or we're hoping that the referee favors our team. Or that our star player is available, that he plays well, that he doesn't get injured. But by and large, it's all wishful thinking because those are all factors outside of our control. But biblical hope can be described as a confident expectation. You can have certainty. You can have assurance. This is what the Colossians had. 
Well, those that Paul described, remember in verse 2, he described those as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what they had. Despite what was going on around them with all of these false teachers, they remained resolute in their hope. Why? Paul recognizes this type, the type of hope. Have a look at this. Verse 5, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you are super excited about the new Top Gun movie that's going to come out. And you are really desperate and you're really hoping to get a ticket to the movie. But you know, the entire island is also. So you jump onto the website and you discover that the website has crashed. You pick up your phone, but it's engaged because the entire island is also trying to phone. And so in that moment... Your hopes are dashed. Life as you know it has come to an end. (laughs) Will you ever hear the danger zone again? Will Tom Cruise fly the new F-18 Super Hornet upside down? You will never know. Life as you know it has crashed. You are in a hopeless, hopeless situation. Then your cell phone rings. And it's your best friend or your wife, hint, (laughs) who's standing at the movies going, I have your ticket in my hand and a very large box of popcorn laden with your favorite MSG salt ready for you. Your hope goes from, oh, it was was just wishful thinking anyway, and despair to absolute certainty and incredible joy. You see, that phrase there, laid up, it can also mean immovable. Like you laid up in traffic means you ain't going anywhere. It can also mean reserved. You have a seat reserved for you. No one is going to take it from you. And so he says the Colossians' hope is assured. It's a sure thing. And then he tells us where it is. It's in heaven. This hope is reserved and waiting for them in heaven. Which is wonderful. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. But I I need hope now. I need hope for the things that I'm going through now, for for all of the trials, for all of the temptations, for all of the heartbreaks. Where is my hope now? Well, let's go back to my illustration for a second. How do you think I am feeling before I even get to Commander Bay? I'm, I'm in the zone, right? I mean, I've got my maverick leather jacket on, zipped up, it's 100 degrees outside, it doesn't matter. I've got my Top Gun sunnies on. My 98 Honda Civic is the new Super Hornet fighter jet. And I've got Danger Zone on repeat in my ears. Thank you very much, iTunes. So what exactly am I doing? I am living out the hope now. I am living out the hope, the confident expectation of being at the movies. I'm living it Now, it's affecting me now. This hope, in fact, is sustaining me on the Esterly Tibbetts Highway as everyone is flying past me, stressed out to try to get tickets. It's sustaining me while I'm trying to find a parking bay at Commander Bay. It's sustaining me. It's giving me patience and perspective as I navigate through the R8 crowd scrambling for tickets. 
And it's a hope that fulfills its promise. It takes me to my wife holding the ticket and the large box of popcorn. It's a hope, sunrise, that does not fail because it's not based on wishful thinking. It affects me now because of the type of hope that it is. It's a sure thing. In fact, it's given me a new equilibrium, a new perspective filled with peace and joy. It's a sure thing because it's literally a hope that is not of this world, but rather a heavenly one given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives it to us. He gives it to his church for us to enjoy. And it gives us a perspective on all the things that we go through in this life. I know there are some of you here this morning who need to cling to that more than others do. I know that you are going through a really tough time. Or maybe it's a loved one, a friend, a family member who is going through the trial of their life. Paul says it like this to the Corinthians. Have a look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he says, For this light, momentary affliction. And many of us are going, it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary. It feels like, when is it going to end? Whether it's a health issue, a relationship issue, a financial issue. He says, for this light, momentary affliction, what he's doing, he's about to compare it with something. He says, is preparing for us. So there's a purpose, right? There's a purpose for every affliction that we go through in this life. He's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's this heavenly hope that he says is beyond all comparison. And then he gives us some tips as to how to handle this in the now. What do we do? How do we process this? Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what he's saying to us, Sunrise, is that our hope, this hope that has been laid up for us in heaven, number one, it's it's beyond all comparison. And he's saying that's eternal. In other words, that's your permanent reality. That's where we're headed. This, with all of its issues, with all of its pain, It's temporary. That's the promise. We have to hold on to that promise and let it give us perspective on these temporary things, these temporary yet hard and difficult things, but it gives us perspective on them. But now let's talk specifically how this hope affects us in the here and now. So let's first look at it from the Colossian perspective. So the second thing I want us to understand about this hope he gives us is the effect of this hope or the the fruit of this hope. Have a look at verse three again. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Right? So Paul is saying this heavenly hope is producing in the Colossians back then the fruit of faith and love. And this faith here is faithfulness. 
Because the Colossians were so secure in this hope that Jesus was giving them that it resulted in a steadfastness and a perseverance in the faith of their salvation. Despite being bombarded with all of these weird and fanciful doctrines and false teachers, this hope was producing in them a tenacious faith. Now, you might also remember in the book of James, James says, hey, but faith without any evidence, faith without any works is dead. It's, it's useless. And so what we see here is that wherever there is genuine hope in Jesus, then there's genuine faith. And wherever there's genuine faith, it produces genuine love. Paul says, especially for the saints, especially for each other, especially for the church. So much so, Paul has heard about it. And it's causing him and Timothy to thank God for the Colossians when they pray for them. So if my understanding of Paul's argument here, or his flow of thought here is correct, if we as Sunrise Community Church, if we want others to hear about our faith and hear about our love, which I think is a good thing, then we need to become more passionate about this heavenly hope that he gives us. Maybe some of you have heard the statement, oh, so-and-so, they're so heavenly-minded but of no earthly good. Me. I get accused of that a lot. Their minds, in other words, are so up there in the clouds on all things spiritual that they fail to see the need or fail to see the work needed down here. Do we become so fixated of being in glory one day that we become self-centered, that we retreat, that we fall into escapism. We just want to escape from this world and just bunker down and wait for Jesus to come and fetch us. John Piper disagrees. Have a look at this quote with me. It's quite a lengthy quote, but he just says it so well. So read, read it with me. He says this. It's not heavenly-mindedness that hinders love. In other words, it's not being focused on our hope that hinders our Christian work down here. He says, it's worldly-mindedness that hinders love, even when it is disguised by a religious routine on the weekend. You come to church on a Sunday, you go to your community group during the week, but he says, you can still have a worldly mindset that's gonna affect our love and our work down here. He says, where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile, a sojourner on the earth, like a missionary passing through this earth? He says, where is the person who has so tasted the beauty of the age to come that the diamonds of the world look like baubles? That's like uh, trinkets, funny little decorations. And the entertainment of the world is empty. And the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view to eternity. He goes on and he says, Only one thing satisfies the heart whose treasure is in heaven, doing the works of heaven. And he says, heaven is a world of love. He says, it's not the cords of heaven that bind the hands of love. It's not being so focused on this heavenly hope that Jesus gives us that makes us ineffective to love down here. He says this, it is the love of money and leisure and comfort and praise. These are the cords that bind the hands of love. And the power to sever these cords is Christian hope. This hope that Jesus gives us. 
So we don't escape the world. Rather, we escape worldliness through joy and a hope that is of another world. And it's this world that helps us love this current world in a unique and redemptive way, which is very important. Because look at how Paul clarifies this love that he's heard about from the Colossians. Look at verse 8. He says, Epaphras has made known to us your love. And what kind of love is it? He says, love in the spirit. The Colossian love that has been heard of is a love that is united to God the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is governing their love. The Holy Spirit, it's His fruit at work within them and through them. And again, this might have been a reaction to some of the false teachers, what they were saying about love. Maybe they were saying, hey man, as long as it's love, you know, just do what you want. You want to sleep with them, you want to sleep with them. As long as it's love, it's fine. But love in the Spirit is a love based on the ways and the truth of God. So they listen to this. So that God gets the glory and you and I get to experience godly love in our relationships. Love governed by the Spirit gives God the glory and at the same time, we then begin to experience what godly love is like in our relationships which then leads to the all-important question of, well, where is the source of this hope? How do, how do we find this hope, this hope that causes that kind of love and that kind of faithfulness? The third thing we need to understand is then the origin or the source of this hope. And so let's just quickly distinguish between worldly hope and this hope that Jesus gives us. The origin or the source of worldly hope is essentially you. You can hope in someone or something else, but it's on you to muster up the strength and the trust to believe in this person or this thing to come through for you. It hinges on you, where you're at. The wonderful thing about biblical hope is that it's not reliant on you. It's not reliant on what you can do, but on what has already been done for you through Jesus. Paul says it like this. Verse 5, he says, Of this, of this hope, you have heard before. He's about to tell us now where. Where is the source of this hope? In the word of the truth, the gospel. The good news of Jesus. Now, watch how the gospel takes over, right? Watch how powerful it is. Verse 6, he says, Which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. In other words, the gospel. In other words, he's saying it's a gospel takeover. It's a pandemic. A pandemic is when a very aggressive virus spreads like wildfire, like the 1980 influenza, Spanish influenza killed like I think between 40 and 50 million people. Horrible illustration, but you kind of get the idea of what I'm trying to say about the gospel here. The power of the gospel. It's spreading like a pandemic. It's spreading like a good virus. It's the source of true hope. Because look at what it's doing. It says, it came to you. 
The Colossians, Colossians, you didn't go find it. You didn't just happen to stumble over it. I don't go looking for flu. Flu finds me. And then look at this. Not just them. He says, indeed, the whole world. It's a bit of a hyperbole, a bit of a, an exaggerated statement from, from Paul, but it's an exaggerated statement to emphasize a truth. This gospel was infiltrating the known world, the, the known Greco-Roman world. And what's it doing, he says? It's bearing fruit, and we know what this fruit is. It's this eternal hope that then begins to bear the fruit of faithfulness and love. And he says this fruit is increasing in the world, and it's increasing in the Colossians. They were growing in it. They were becoming more and more mature in their love and faithfulness. And our part in the gospel, it's the same as, as it was for the Colossians. He says, since the day you heard it and understood it. That word under, understand is a little bit limited in our, in our English language. It's the Greek word epigonosko, which means to fully and experientially know. So not just to know something on a cognitive, intellectual level, but it also involves a spiritual illumination that changes us, that begins to transform us, that sets off the fruit of hope, love, and faith. So can you see what the source of our hope, the gospel, does? He says it comes to you. We hear it, and we understand it, and it illuminates our minds. It regenerates our hearts and then begins to produce its fruit in us and through us. In other words, it gives us a new equilibrium. It gives us a new hope, a new world, a new way of thinking, a new perspective. That's the difference between worldly hope and gospel-centered hope. Worldly hope's all on you. It's on your ability, your strength. Whereas gospel hope is all based already on the finished work of Jesus for you, that comes to you and changes you. That's why sunrise, all of our preaching and our teaching, whether it's in children's church, behind this pulpit, flourish, men's breakfast, community groups, it's always gonna be centered on Jesus. Gospel-centered preaching because of what the gospel does in us and through us and what it is already doing and what it can do in the world. Brings us to our final aspect of this hope. So we've seen the type of hope, the fruit of this hope, where this hope is found in the gospel, but now, what role can you and I, those of us who have this hope, what role can we play in it? Well, there's a whole island out there that needs this hope. There's a whole world out there that needs this hope, not worldly hope. So let's see, point four. Let's first learn how it came to the Colossians. Verse seven says, just as you learned it, this, this gospel, the source of our hope. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras was, was the faithful minister of this gospel-centered hope to the Colossians. And so what I want us to do as we finish off, I want, to, I want us to look at four quick practical principles on how, Jesus, how we can take Jesus' hope to the world, how you and I can be the means of this hope 
to our friends, our family, this island, the world. The first thing we see in verse seven is learn. Learn the gospel. It says, just as you learned it. Remember, the, the gospel is something, yes, it's something that happens to you, but then we have a responsibility to grow in our understanding of it. And as we grow in our understanding of it, then we grow in our assurance of this hope that has been laid up for us in heaven. And as we do that, we begin to abound, increase in the fruit of love and faithfulness. Secondly, serve. Serve the world with the gospel. Paul says Epaphras was a beloved fellow servant and minister of the gospel. And we're servants of the gospel too. Remember, the gospel is not just some ethereal concept. It's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our master. We have been mastered by Jesus. And so we are to serve him in every single thing that we do, including teaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. Like we've been saying during our Defining Moments series, just share your story wrapped in the gospel. Many people say, oh, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to, 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 to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Just share what you know, but never be satisfied with how much you know. Learn the gospel. Grow in the gospel. Thirdly, be faithful. Epaphras was a faithful minister, Paul says. And the poor guy, he was in a tricky situation because the little church was being bombarded by all of these false doctrines, all these false theories, but maybe even doctrines and mindsets that were already on display in the culture that seemed oh so normal, and, but not necessarily biblical. And so the church was in this weird space, this pressure to conform or, or to remain faithful in Scripture, but also to look at culture around them going, well, is it okay to, to, to live like that? Is it okay to, to believe that? Let me illustrate it this way. One of the, our greatest false teachers today, and we'll get to their false teachers in, in chapter two, but one of our greatest false teachers today is Netflix, right? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't watch Netflix or you can't watch movies, you can't watch series. I'm not saying that. Be hypocritical. We have Netflix. We watch series. But I watch some of these series, and it depicts certain lifestyles as normal. And there is a danger that if you're not faithful to the word, you will be indoctrinated by Netflix because it looks oh so normal. Everyone in the series is reacting to it as it's so normal. And it's depicted as oh so loving, and they're such endearing characters. But if you are remaining faithful to true doctrine, we will see the deception. We will see the deception out in our own world around us, our own culture around us. But we'll be able to say, you know what? There's hope. There's hope for them. The hope that will give them true faith and true love. They need the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, unto a changed life, a better life, a better thing to be faithful to, a better type of love, which then brings us to finding your behalf. Paul says Epaphras was a faithful minister on behalf 
of the Colossians or for the Colossians. So our question is, who is your Colossian? Who so desperately needs this hope that only Jesus can give? Because I'm guessing there are many of us here who have friends, who have the cars, they've got the lifestyle, they've got the house, they've got the bank accounts. Doesn't look like they need any hope. But on closer inspection, we see that they're hoping in the things of this world. The hope is, their hope is in the treasures that they've laid up on earth. And Jesus very clearly tells us, guys, please, don't do that. Don't lay up treasures for yourself where, where moth and rust and robbers can break in and steal and destroy. And what happens when this world comes to an end? Where's your hope going to be? And so you and I, as faithful ministers of the gospel, we can come alongside them on their behalf and point them to this hope. Many of us have friends or family members on the flip side of the coin, the other end of the spectrum, where they are in such desperate need, but they too are, are looking for hope in the things of this world. And we can also come alongside them and point them to this hope, this heavenly hope that will not disappoint them. But here's the thing. The only way this is possible, the only way this is possible to do that is because Jesus, is because we became Jesus' behalf. He laid down his life on behalf of us so that we might become his behalf and take this hope on behalf of him to others. We could say it this way. He laid down his life so that we might have a hope laid up for us in heaven. And because of him and him alone, we can now take this to others too. And the most amazing thing about this hope is that it doesn't restore our old equilibrium. It doesn't restore our old world and comfort zones and mindsets. It gives us a new life with, with a new perspective, a heavenly perspective on this life because it's a hope of confident expectation, not wishful thinking. So Sunrise, is Jesus enough to hope in? Yes, because he gives us a hope that is not of this world, that helps us with peace and joy and a perspective for this world. Amen. Why don't you pray with me? I'm going to ask the music guys to come up and then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, you know everyone here. You know everyone's story here this morning. You know everyone's story who might listen to this as a podcast or whatever. You know what's going on in their lives. You know the hope that they need. They need your hope. Not a worldly hope, your hope. It's a sure and a steadfast thing. Holy Spirit, I ask right now in this moment, would you drop the your hope deep down in our hearts.
especially those who are needing it so desperately this morning. You drop it down deep into our hearts so that it would fill us with peace and joy but more than that, a faithfulness to you, Jesus. A faithfulness to cling to you no matter what happens in this life. And a love, a true love for you and for each other. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in your word that we can cling to that bring us that hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.